Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch, find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Listen, before we start the show today, a quick note. Thanks to you, the ongoing History of New Music podcast has been racing up the podcast charts, and we've been receiving a bunch of email and direct messages from fans of the show that you wanted to hear more episodes. Okay, done. We've heard you. And we're happy to do just that. So we're ramping things up around here. You will now get an additional Ongoing History of New Music podcast every week all summer long. So that's two shows for the price of, well, none. So get it. I mean, show is free. Okay, wait. Also, enjoy this week's episode. Here we go. Good morning. I'd like to be a rock star, please. Ah, very good, sir. About a 42, are you? <laughs> 42 long, actually. Fine, fine. Well, this ensemble here just came in. It's a SoCal Industrial. A bondage gear with just a touch of glam. Comes with six complimentary piercings. You only pay for the shaving. It's it's very nice, but I'm more into a retro indie <laughs> vibe. <laughs> oh, well, then perhaps you want the Manchester. Flowery shirt with baggy pants. Yeah, that's a mite too Anglo, I think. And I don't like the haircuts. Fine, fine. Fine, fine. Uh, perhaps I can interest you in our grunge collection. Sturdy, hard-working clothes, and I might add, this year's line of Doc Martens are very fetching. For example, look at this pair of 20 holes. Fabulous for stumping a man's guts out. Excellent, excellent. Wrap it up, will ya? Yes, sir. And thank you very much for coming. And by the way, can you actually play an instrument? <laughs> no, no. Oh, yeah. But at least I look the part. The music will come later. Oh, absolutely. The music always comes later. First things first, eh, sir? After all, it's clothes that make the musician. Uh, uh, one more one more thing. Mm-hmm. Can, can I have a catalog, you know, just in case this retro grunge thing doesn't work out? Ah, um, no, I'm sorry. I seem to be all out. Oh, I do, however, have this CD on dressing for success in the music industry. Uh, perhaps you can listen to it on your way home. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. You know talent, moron. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. David Bowie with fashion, which pretty much sums up the topic of the show. Welcome, I'm Alan Cross, and we're going to look at the styles and fashions that go into making music interesting to, well, to look at. Rock and fashion have had a symbiotic relationship from the very beginning. After all, rock is also equal part show business and theater, so it's important to look good if you're going to sound good. 
or at least so the theory goes. For example, back in 1971, the New York Dolls, one of the most important of all the pre-punk bands, created a stir in New York City by being the first rock band to wear spandex on stage. Meanwhile, over in England, glam rock, the glittery, flamboyant look favored by David Bowie in his Ziggy Stardust years, was as much about the right clothes and the right makeup as it was about music. A few years later, the Sex Pistols were formed in a clothing shop run by a couple of designers of fetish and bondage gear. Malcolm McLaren had been inspired by how a New York punk named Richard Hell held his decomposing clothes together with safety pins. So he took that idea back to his partner, Vivian Westwood, who introduced that look in their shop. And yes, by the way, that is the same Vivian Westwood who now circulates in the world of haute couture. Punk gave way to New Wave and the air of the sharp suit and the skinny tie. And then MTV arrived in 1981, which meant that looking good and trendy almost became more important than sounding good. And from there, fashion and new rock split into a billion different looks and styles and trends. One of the most important functions of music fashion is that it can be used to signify your tribal affiliation. Which brings us to our first concept, the concept of the uniform. Now think about that. Punks dress one way, while fans of, say, ska dress another. Clothes and accessories are very important to goth culture. And let's not even start on the concept of bling for rappers and hip-hoppers. One of the first new rock fashion statements in terms of a uniform was made by the Ramones. It was very simple. Jeans, t-shirts, and leather jackets. The concept was to look like an old-style street gang. It was a look and style that would serve the Ramones and other punks very well through 22 years. Let's stay in the 70s and look at the concept of mod fashion. This look had its roots in the mid-1960s in Britain. The mods were kind of a youth cult with their own philosophy and lifestyle. If you've ever seen the film Quadrophenia, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. The mods loved rhythm and blues, R&B music, people like James Brown from the States, and locally the Who and the Kinks and the Small Faces. Their mode of transportation was a heavily accessorized and highly customized Vespa TS or Lambretta GT200 motor scooter, and they wore a uniform which was highly regulated and policed. See, the duty of the mod was to look sharp and pay attention to detail. For example, it was very important to have your pants hemmed at exactly the right length, and the cuff had to allow for the swing of your pants so there was never more than a one-inch gap between the end of your pant leg and the top of your shoe. Mods favored slim-fitting suits featuring Ben Sherman shirts with narrow button-down collars. Jackets were three-button mohairs, and there were lots of parkas, often featuring Union Jacks or Targets. There was a mod revival in the 1970s and was led by The Jam. Leader Paul Weller had always been fascinated by the original mods, and his favorite bands became The Kinks and The Who. When The Jam started up, he made sure that his devotion to the mods was made very clear. He insisted that the band wear suits, purchased at a mod club called Hepworth's. But before they left the store, he insisted that all the collars be cut down to a width of one inch. Later, when the band had more money, they commissioned their tailor to make them their famous Union Jack jackets. Mod culture and fashion survived the demise of the jam, and it rose again in a somewhat altered form during the Britpop era of the middle 1990s. And here in the 21st century, pockets of mods are thriving around the world, with all of them carrying on the proud fashion attitudes of their forefathers, which includes driving updated version of those cool little scooters. Yeah. 
Another late 70s music and fashion trend that lives on today is the one surrounding ska. Like the mods, ska bands had an almost standardized uniform, thanks largely to rules that were set down by a guy named Jerry Dammers, the founder and leader of The Specials, one of the great ska bands of all time, and the founder of a ska-based record label called Two-Tone. Even the name of the label was fashion-based. Dammers dubbed the company after the two-tone tonic suits worn by skinheads and mods back in the 1960s. The black and white color scheme was supposed to symbolize racial harmony. Dammers was fascinated by this look. He had sketch pads full of designs, one of which was this checkerboard pattern that Jerry had come up with in his art school days. He made it that checkerboard with a black and white rendering of a rude boy that kind of looked like a negative of a photo. In fact, it was based on a photo, a very old picture of reggae star Peter Tosh. This guy became the unofficial mascot of Two-Tone and the ska movement in general. He even had a name. He was called Walt Jabsko. The clothes for UK ska descended from the ska clothes of Jamaica. Sharp suits and dark colors like black, navy blue, and chocolate were required. The single-breasted jackets were fitted. The shirts were supposed to be white and very crisp. And the trousers had to be narrow and tapered, cuffed at least three inches above the floor. Clark shoes were best, and the whole thing needed to be topped up with some kind of a hat, preferably pork pie. It worked then, and you know what? It still works today. The concept of the standardized uniform fell into disfavor through the 1990s when most people adopted the we don't have an image image. That was their way of thinking. But in the last few years, the idea of a band dressing the same has come roaring back. The international noise conspiracy is from Sweden. Before they go on tour, they create a brand new uniform for everybody in the band. Then there are the Hives, who just might be Sweden's sharpest dressed band. The clothes may change, but the palette remains the same. Black and white. Black shirts, white satin ties, black pants, white shoes, or maybe vice versa, whatever. It's always a variation on black and white. The white stripes are all about red and white. Jack and Meg never appear in anything different, thanks to their love of a type of minimalist art from the Netherlands and Meg's addiction to red and white peppermint candies. Their look is as much their signature as their sound. Oh, Danko Jones, the Toronto band, is all about dressing in black. They were inspired by blues legend Robert Johnson in a punk band called Nation of Ulysses. They press their clothes before every gig to make sure they've got that formal look. And no Danko Jones tour is ready to start without a full supply of shoe polish. episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe dive into the western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott, or go full 90s throwback with platforms from prada you can shop for everything on your agenda whether it's a breezy zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright chloe blazer for brunch find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Other bands into the uniform look. Interpol, who buy vintage suits and have them custom tailored. They don't necessarily match, but they all look very formal. Ladytron is a band from Liverpool who have matching denim outfits created by a designer from L.A. named Javier. And also from Liverpool, there's Clinic. They rotate five different stage uniforms, and they always perform wearing surgical masks. So, what is this deal with this new love of uniforms? Maybe it's because the current generation of musicians are bored with the we-don't-have-an-image attitude. They're looking back at the punk and new wave eras with admiration. They're even looking back at the early days of the Beatles with their matching narrow jackets. They look at the clean lines of a band like Kraftwerk, which became an art statement in itself. These Generation Y bands are emulating that formal, clean-cut, nicely-pulled-together look that was so big 20 and 25 years ago. In other words, it's currently a way to stand out from the crowd, which is what it's all about, right? And next to torn jeans, the most enduring new rock fashion accessory of all time has got to be a shoe, specifically the Doc Martin. Now, there was a Dr. Martin. And when he had his skiing accident back in 1945, who knew where his invention would lead? His full name was Dr. Klaus Martens. And after he messed up his foot while skiing, Dr. Martin and an engineer friend named Herbert Funk worked on a shoe with a comfortable, shock-absorbing sole. Their idea was to build in air cushions. Everybody does that now, but Klaus and Herbert were first. For the first couple of decades, docks were used as work boots and as orthopedic wear. If you needed special shoes to help with a foot problem, your doctor would just send you out to buy a pair of docks, all of which were made in Sieshaupt, a small German town on Lake Starnberg in Bavaria. These shoes were first introduced into the UK as a medical aid in 1960, but by the early 1970s, the boots had become a fashion accessory. Punks and skinheads adopt the shoe as a protest fashion thing. These were unpretentious working-class boots, the exact opposite of the Birkenstops worn by hippies. And they went perfectly with a punk uniform of jeans instead of jackets and mohawks. The steel toe was also handy in a fight. And from that point on, docks became the footwear of choice for the cult of youth. The shoe is icon, you know. Docks reached the peak of popularity in the early 1990s as they became an essential accessory for anyone who was part of the Lollapalooza nation. The black boots with their yellow stitching went well with the grunge flannel and jeans. The classic model is the 1460 with eight holes, although there were many variations on that. They needed a lot of breaking in and blisters were common, but that was besides the point. Docs were one of the few fashion labels to which alt-rock kids pledged allegiance. By 1994, the company was selling 125,000 pairs a month in the U.S. and 10 million a year worldwide. But then the bottom fell out in the middle 1990s after the demise of grunge and the rise of pop music. Since then, the company has undergone some serious Darwinian evolution. The classic boot is still sold, but the company also makes a variety of dress and casual shoes in addition to an updated version of the 1460. There are 70,000 variations of docks, from a three-eyed shoe up to a 20-eyed boot. And anyone remember the movie Tommy from 1975? Elton John, the pinball wizard. That was him wearing a pair of docks that were at least six feet high. 
The Doc Martin, excellent for stomping for more than half a century. Now that we're on the topic of accessories, let's talk about watches. If you're a style and rock person, you probably know how tough it is to find a wristwatch that goes with the rest of your wardrobe. This was the problem faced by a guy named David Bonaventure, who couldn't find a watch that went well with his jeans and leather look. He was in Indonesia with his band Puppet Stroker when his favorite watch broke. He just couldn't find a replacement for his active rock and roll lifestyle. Everything that he saw was too dressy or too clunky or too sporty or had too many features. So back in 1997, after listening to a lot of goth and goth-like rock, and after researching the design of gothic cathedrals in Europe, he created a company called Vestal. Now, Bonaventure came up with watch designs with names like Saxon and Purgatory and Sanitarium and The Motorhead. And knowing that placement with celebrities is good for business, Bonaventure started handing out the watches to various musicians. Duff McKagan of Velvet Revolver has been seen wearing a Vestal. Same with Carlos Dingler, the bass player with Interpol. Goes nice with his black tailored suits. And by the way, Interpol's music is a big part of the design process at Vestal. They listened to the band's music on a loop for a couple of months when they were putting together these watches. So what do Vestal watches look like? Well, give a listen and try to imagine. This is Interpol with PDA. Male musicians have been wearing makeup for decades now. Styles run from the over-the-top glam of David Bowie and the New York Dolls in the early 1970s to the androgynous styles of Depeche Mode in the early 80s to the um, embalmed look of Marilyn Manson. And let's not forget bands like Kiss or the Insane Clown Posse. Whenever I've asked about makeup, the manufacturer of choice seems to be MAC Cosmetics. Lipstick, eyeliner, that sort of thing. That's Marilyn Manson's brand, and it's also the choice of The Cure's Robert Smith. Makeup brand. If we're going to do something with industrial <laughs> applications, yeah. what should they do? Well, MAC Cosmetics have come up with a range of... Uh, I, I was moaning about the fact that my makeup was running when we last played in the desert, and um, and they've given me this makeup that they say, well, if I, if I ever play on the surface of the sun, at least my makeup will remain intact, even though the rest of me may burn. The only thing they're missing is a, is a good um, black eyeshadow, which I have to tell them the next time I'm over there in one of my makeup, my high-powered makeup meetings that I have with them nearly. <laughs> it looks good. It's funny. Severin used to call me Mac when we did the Glove album, so there is a kind of a nice symmetry for me in actually ending up using makeup that seems to have my name on the front of it. The Cure, featuring Robert Smith, proud purchaser of MAC Cosmetics. Back with more fashion observations in seconds, including some tips on how you, as a fashion designer, can get a little celebrity endorsement action for your creation.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is Alan Cross. Welcome to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast, our weekly exploration of the stories and characters that made modern music what it is today. We want to make this podcast one of your favorites. So if you love the show, do me a favor, tell a friend about it or rate it on iTunes if that's your thing. We'd really love it if you do that. Or you can just drop me an email with your thoughts to alan at alancross.ca. Maybe you want more information on something you hear, or maybe you have an idea for a topic for a future episode. Whatever. I guarantee your response. alan at alancross.ca. Whether you're listening one at a time or binging on a bunch of podcasts all at once, we're glad to have you here. All right, let's talk music, shall we? Welcome back to our quick look at new rock fashion. Earlier on, we talked about how good it is for business for a celebrity to be spotted wearing your stuff. Take the case of the Ugg boot. This is a great study in this whole thing. The company had no money to advertise their boots in the traditional sense, so they simply gave away a few pair to the most photographed celebrities in the world. And they started with Pamela Anderson, and every time she turned up in People or Us magazine wearing a pair of Uggs, sales went through the roof. Uggs became the fashion boot for a season, and the company made a fortune, all for the price of a couple of pairs of free boots. English designers in the 1960s knew this, which is why a guy named John Stephen designed clothes for The Who, and a guy named Tommy Nutter made suits for Mick Jagger. In the 1970s, the Sex Pistols were originally formed as a band that would primarily be a living, breathing advertisement for the clothing shop run by their manager, Malcolm McLaren. The shop was called Sex and the Sex Pistols were originally designed as nothing more than an advertising vehicle. Meanwhile, David Bowie paired with Alexander McQueen. In New York, Stephen Sprouse dressed up his neighbor, Deborah Harry of Blondie. Later, Prada saw their fortunes rise in certain segments after guys like Beck and Dave Grohl started wearing their stuff. They know that young people pay attention to what the stars are wearing when they see those pictures in music magazines and tabloids. New designers can take a lesson. It worked for Vestal Watches, and it worked, albeit unintentionally, for Doc Martens. And ask MAC Cosmetics on how things are going now that people like Marilyn Manson and Robert Smith are extolling the virtues of their products. Let's look at something else. Take the case of the Yeah, Yeah, Yes, hot New York band with a highly charismatic front person in Karen O. She is dressed by a woman named Christian Joy, a New York designer who hoped that Karen could use her notoriety to boost her creations. And it worked. Once the yeah, yeah, yeah's really started to catch on and people started photographing Karen O, so many orders came in that Christian was able to quit her day job and get into fashion full time. This was a gamble on this unknown band that paid off big time. The Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, featuring singer Karen O, who is dressed by an up-and-coming New York designer named Christian Joy. Karen has become a willing, walking billboard for Christian's work, 
and Christian gets to indulge her fashion muse and make money at it. Rock and fashion are so tightly connected that they're pretty much inseparable. After all, rock is showbiz, and if you want to connect, you need to look good, right? One more thing before we go. Creating fashion is not restricted to designers. Bono of U2 runs a fashion company with his wife called Eden, which, if you're paying attention, is nude spelled backwards. You know those sunglasses and jackets and jeans he wears? Most of them, Eden. And the claim to fame of this company is that everything is made from eco-friendly materials using fairly paid labor in Africa. It's Bono putting his money where his mouth is, I guess. The Beastie Boys have a skate clothing company called X-Large. Travis Barker of Blink-182 has a hot belt buckle company called American Dream and a shoe company called DC Shoes. The list goes on and on and on. And let's not forget about Vans, the shoe people. They've been sponsoring the Vans Warp Tour for more than a decade, and without that kind of support, it would have been a lot harder to bring grassroots punk to the masses, wouldn't it? Production for the show is by Rob Johnston. Rob's clothing supplied by, uh... What are you wearing? Oh, Sandstar. Okay, I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.